Do you want to jump into your information for today? Absolutely. But I think that maybe we should share kind of what the format of this show is going to be going forward. Okay. So the theme for anybody who's a regular listener of the Bottle of Brown podcast is that we like to talk about our favorite drink. We refer to that as a brown because, of course, you are a bourbon man and I am a scotch man. But it really gets down to what is your drink in the sense of is it an extension of your personality? Is it a outlet for stress kind of type of personalization like people that like to fix up their car or they like to have a certain style in their wardrobe? You know, what is your drink? What is your brown? So your brown could be could be coffee, could be Diet Coke, uh, but it's it's yours. Like what's yours? So a bottle of brown is what makes you you. Then we want to get into some discussions about work, whether that be office life, whether that be how current events are affecting the way we go to work, what we think about work, or maybe just some headlines from the business world. We can talk about what it is to run a company or entrepreneurship in terms of bootstrapping um, the famed side hustle, things that we do for income. And then, of course, we want to talk about something that our kids did that enraged us, enlightened us, or made us happy to be parents. Yeah, I think you nailed it. And the way I see life in general is divided in three parts, right? Mm -hmm. First part is that part when you're learning everything, right? Mm -hmm. You're learning. Mm -hmm. You're going to school. Your parents are teaching you stuff. Uh, you're, You're trying to become the person you're going to be. The second stage of your life is you're that person. Now you are all about work. And I don't mean work like you're, you know, you're shoveling at the quarry or you're typing in your cubicle. I'm talking this is the meat of your life when you are really, uh, you know, rubber meeting the road, doing mm-hmm. what you're doing. And uh, the, thir- the last third of your life is the give back time. That's when you're the grandparent or you're uh, a mentor or you're, you're, you're giving back everything you learned in the first t- two stages of your life to make everyone behind you better. This is, this is an insane time to be in stage two of your life. And I love it. And I love to re- I love to be able to stick a flag in it right now once a week and say, what are we doing? Where are we going? It's 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 that line from uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You know, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and to look around every once in a while. You might miss it. Then I guess we should light this candle. Bottle of Brown podcast. This is your host, D. Paul. We have a special for you today. This is the first of what we hope is many, many episodes. We have a friend of the show, Leon Coventry from episode two, who is getting promoted to vice host. It's an honor. It's an honor. I know there was a lot of interviewees uh, for this role. Uh, I tell you, I'm excited. My back hurts. 
You went you went to the biggest alcoholic. What I haven't decided yet is am I the Joe Buck or am I the Troy Aikman? <laughs> I feel like I I look like I have more concussions. So let's go with uh, me being Troy. Okay. All right. Hall of Famer, Leon Coventry, rolling into the vice host chair. Welcome. Welcome, Leon. <laughs> well, thank you. All right. Let's kick this one off. What's your brown for today? The brown for today, since this is our first official with this format, uh, is my favorite daily drinker. Mm-hmm. And that is the Buffalo Trace. The Trace. You can find it. You can find it anywhere. If it's a Wednesday or Thursday afternoon, and then if I'm pouring something or if I'm putting something in a decanter or something, it's going to be Buffalo Trace. That's that's my go-to. I don't ever mix it. I won't allow anyone to mix it in my home. Uh, it's something that is just always hits the spot, and it's and I drink enough of it that the price is right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You get that at Costco or do you go someplace special? Yes. <laughs> right on, man. A, right on, being man. A, being a bourbon hound, I'll, I buy it everywhere. <laughs> yes. So we got uh, got a couple bottles uh, from Costco earlier in the week and then decided we were going to stop into the local BevMo and they had the big bottles. And... I got to have it. If, if they make the biggest bottle, it's like the magnum of wine. If they mm-hmm. make the magnum of Buffalo Trace, I'm getting it. So mm-hmm. got that. A couple other big giant bottles. They had the Eagle Rare in the big giant bottle. Got that one that. too. I saw that. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, I've got to have it on hand all the time. I, I, I go through it. Uh, so that's. That's the one. As a matter of fact, I'm going to just pour another glass right now. So I've been Warm meaning to ask you about notes. the bourbon cream. What is the bourbon cream? So funny story about that. The bourbon cream, the way uh, Mark Mark Brown told us when we were at uh, the distillery, funny story. He's like, hey, I, you know, I want to do something that kind of competes with Kahlua, but obviously we're big in whiskey. Whiskeys are Whiskey's our drug of choice. What are we going to do about whiskey? You know, what are we going to do about it? So they went to the drawing board, came up with all these different things. And finally, uh, the master distiller came back and said, what do you think of this one? And that was Buffalo Trace bourbon cream. And he's like, nailed it. Nailed it. Let's do it. Let's package it. Let's promote it. Let's sell it. By the way, which uh, which spirit did you use? <laughs> He's like, oh, well, we, you know, we, we use the six year, which means I don't. When you're when you're talking about any of these uh, spirits outside of any of the age spirits, you really got a plan for that, you know. Right now, they're brewing and uh, not brewing, but they're 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 distilling today something that's we're going to consume six, eight, 15, 20 years from now. If you didn't know you were going to make bourbon cream out of your six year, you got to pull from that six year stock. And uh, that's what they had to do. They pulled the Buffalo trace stock and made the bourbon cream with it. And it's delicious. And if they have to discontinue any of the line, blow your mind. What's up? Did they have to discontinue any of the line? No, they just had a, they just didn't have as much inventory. So they had to, they had to, they had to have less inventory for the standard Buffalo Trace. So 
At least that's the story he told us. So I, bu- I bought it. Okay. All right. Because I saw it on the shelf and I'm, <laughs> my curiosity is percolating. So you filled in the gap. I have four bottles in the house right now of the bourbon cream. How do you, uh, how do you imbibe said beverage? Do you? It's a, you, for me, it's a tooth, two parter. Okay. Great in coffee on the weekend. Ooh. Gotta have it. Okay. And then, uh, I would, I, it's best like after dinner, throw it in a glass cube and then uh i would go 60 or 70 percent bourbon cream 30 percent root beer they make a root beer uh out of buffalo trace actually and if you get it it's great it's great great with it um but you can get it you know they don't sell that root beer everywhere so if you can get it anywhere uh get it (laughs) so so what i'm saying is get it and get it (laughs) that's the worst advice anyone's ever given anyone well i'm gonna go uh go get one of those choices yeah yeah go get a and w go get dads go get anything but root beer and that bourbon cream knock your socks off bourbon cream and root beer all right well that's a good one so for our inaugural episode of this format i chose my favorite which is the johnny green and because it is a dwindling stash I have to make sure that I save it for the best moments. And so tonight is a best moment. Yeah. Why the green? It is a malt. It is not smoky in the sense that the black label is. It's got a sweetness to it that you won't find in the red. And I'm not willing to pay for the blue. Yeah. So get it and get it. <laughs> Let's break into the show. Got a couple of headlines to talk about, uh, but first we got to get our Brown update. Some industry, big, big week came out last week. So the National Alcohol Beverage and Control Association came out with their spirit sales. It's the year in wrap up 2020. Everyone's been talking about it. Like ABC, what? Yep. right? Yeah. The, the NBC, N-A-B-C-A. They need to come up with a bigger, better name than that. That's just not, <laughs> not catchy enough. <laughs> I mean, you're the booze regulators. You're the association yeah, like regulating the coolest thing we have that's legal. Um, but yeah, so they, they came out with the, you know, the control states. How we do? Everyone's been like, oh, man, COVID. COVID was so good for booze. Everyone, you can't go out. So what do you do? You stay home and you booze it up. Everyone's been saying that. But is it real? Did it really happen? Did people really drink more? Well, the numbers came out finally and... Let me let me give you the Cliff's Notes version. Yes. <laughs> when the world is in panic, we drink. So so check out some of these numbers. You're, you're, they're they're mind blowing. They're mind blowing. Uh, twenty twenty. So so there's a lot of different uh, ways that they measure volume in mm-hmm. the alcohol world. Nine liter case sales, nine liter case sales grew 7.5% in control states. So a lot of this coming from control states, uh, which is a great indicator. So control states are doing this. You can just assume what the non-control states are, but 2020 nine liter cases group 7.5%. The shelf dollars grew 13.1. So we're drinking more and they're charging us more. It's, it's completely breaking the rules of economics. Because they know. So, (laughs) That shelf dollars growth, it's actually the highest growth rate in a hun- over 100 years. The volumetric growth up by 7.5%. So whether it's by money or it's by volume, 
still the highest bump in the century. What do you think? How much, how much do you think the value of the shelf, the shelf value of the control states was this year? 20%. Throw a, throw a dollar value at me. Oh, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Thousands, tens of thousands, millions. 11.8 billion dollars. Okay. In shelf value in booth in spirits. Just spirits. So how We're does the shelf value work? Beer. We're not talking about wine. It's a, it's a good question. And, and it's the only one that I've ever seen use this term shelf value is this uh, NABCA. It's a, an assumption. I've been Googling all over the place. I'm sure somebody will write in and go, you're dumb. But to <laughs> me, it, it sounds to me like it's the value. Uh, you know, it's the value of what was on the shelf. Uh, and 59 million nine liter cases were sold. That's insanity. So we're drinking more. But the question is who? Who do you think? Top three. Who's the biggest degenerates in this country? Um, States. Let's go Florida. It's possible. I'm not sure that's a control state because it didn't pop up in that uh, in that report. What is what is a control state? Oh, well, California didn't pop on there, so they're not one. It's, uh, you know, coming from Ohio, uh, very highly regulated. Mm. It's sold places where they have to sell beer and spirits in a separate place. Yeah, in the three-tier system, right? So Okay, so I know Pennsylvania is one of them. It is. I know Colorado and Ohio are one of them. They are. Uh, Arizona is not. California is not. That's right. Connecticut is. And Illinois. It is, but this is not this, they're not one of the top. The top three. Okay. Mississippi. Mm-hmm. They're 25.1% growth in shelf dollars a quarter percent they grew by 25 percent versus 8.6 percent the year prior wow michigan 21.5 percent coming in at number two what okay, were they so last it's not, the year not based prior? on politics then 5.1 percent these are astronomical. Yeah. <laughs> Idaho, number three. Idaho. Idaho. thinks about Idaho. <clears throat> Guess what? Idaho likes to drink. Idaho's and they drinking. came in at 18.3% next to 65 Potatoes and booze. That's three what I, Idaho's about. <laughs> wow. That's serious business. Now, I it know is. Boise is one of those places like Phoenix or Bend, Oregon. <clears throat> Boise is one of those places where people on the west – the Western seaboard are escaping too. And so I know that Boise's got, uh, there was a big article in Bloomberg Business Week about it. Of Boise and Phoenix were the top two exodus cities from Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles. Have you been to Idaho? I have not. I was when I was a kid. And the pictures in the background <laughs> look beautiful. It's one of those places I got to go. I got to okay, go. So it's not like the old David Tell joke. <laughs> you know what you do when you get to Idaho? Pack the fuck up and get out. That's what you do. <laughs> no way. I will tell you, though, uh, I love going on all-inclusives. I love going on cruises. And uh, my wife and I uh pretty social, social mm-hmm. butterflies. So mm-hmm. we loved, loved sure. to be uh, at the bar. And what's the first question on any of those trips? Where are you from? Mm-hmm. And some of the best people I've ever met, Idaho. I just, it's, it's a secret. They don't want you to know about them. They don't want you to come visit. They are, Hey, this is our spot. 
stay over there. And yeah. I'm okay. I'm cool with that. Yeah. Yeah. Kudos to Idaho. Uh, I would like to go see a Boise state game. You want to see the blue field in person. I want to see the Smurf turf. Yep. That's, that's what I think. And I don't think of potatoes. I think of the Boise state Smurf turf. Uh, Cause that's just personality. You know what I respect about them though? Like, they were nothing. They went blue turf. They were still nothing. But then they became this really, they became the team in college that was radical. Mm-hmm. Like they were the ones that if there was going to be a trick play or a fake punt or anything, it was going to be Boise State that did it. And they don't care if it's if it's the bowl game or it's against the cupcake. It doesn't matter to them. They, they are always throwing those out. So there is no fun. There's no game that's more fun to watch than Idaho. Yeah, I mean, they're like, uh, they're like New Zealand in the World Cup. They're just happy to be there. All right, let's talk about uh, the spirits by type. So we're going to go to the nine-liter case volume, but they all correlate, so it really doesn't mm. matter. But what's interesting is last year – this is a big radical jump for cocktails, right? Mm-hmm. Cocktails, we're seeing those more and more. These pre-mixed things in the uh, in the stores, and uh, those were up forty point two percent in twenty twenty. Wow. Unreal. Uh, right behind it was tequila, mm-hmm. which you mentioned earlier. You're starting to get in tequila. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like tequila. But it's got to be the good stuff. I mean, it really does have to be the good stuff. And I'm a big, uh, if I was going to drink tequila, I'm a big um, fan of Añejo. If I was Mm going to choose one of the three, you know, they got Mm -hmm. the Blanco, the Añejo, the Reposado. So so I would, tequila was number two. That's not a shock, right? Anybody who who's on any of the social media right now, at some point, whether or not you chose to or not, I'm sure you've seen The Rock pitching mm-hmm. his tequila. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen George Clooney pitching his tequila. Yeah, it's it was an entourage. It's, uh, it's very yeah, right. It's very popular. Yeah, like tequila is just so popular. I personally, I drink it on a very special occasion. It's not my brown, <laughs> but uh, I get it. I get it. It's it's on the move. Uh, number three was a shocker to me because in my circle. I don't know anybody that's drinking this, but number three was brandy and cognac. Really? At 14.2%. What else we got? You want to know where uh, domestic whiskey and scotch fell on that list? Hopefully higher. No, 11.7 was domestic whiskey. And that's including bourbon because that's domestic domestic whiskey yeah you and then you break out whiskey as a as a category or do you have to do the individual whiskeys they didn't break it out that way but i would love to know Mm. because the circles i'm with are bourbon lovers so Mm -hmm. i'm just intense in bourbon i'm i'm always looking at bourbon every store i go to i i'm looking at the bourbon uh so i'm shocked that it it fell so low but scotch was desperate at 1.9 growth. They didn't experience anything that everybody else was feeling. And actually last year, they were only 0.2. So they are so slow to respond or people are just kind of like scotch is out. But if you went back 15 years ago, scotch was in bourbon was out. I mean, you didn't, nobody drank bourbon. They like they greased their cars 
with it. They, mm. <laughs> they didn't actually do anything with bourbon other than pour it down the drain. All of a sudden, it's the most popular thing. I've always, I've always said that if I was going to drink one of the whiskeys, bourbon is definitely the one, and it's a very different taste. I was actually just over at uh, Punish's house the mm-hmm. other day. And he offered me a friend of the show. Whiskey. Yeah, yeah, he's a big Scotch drinker like yourself. And Scotch is okay. I have them, right? I got Blue Label. I got, I got Scotch. I got McKellen. I got Belvini. I got them all, right? And to me, they're peaty and they're they taste like wood. <laughs> they taste like burnt wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you like that, that's great. It's okay. Uh, I'll drink it in a special occasion, or obviously when people are over that are Scotch drinkers, I'll, I'll have it. I don't enjoy it that much. I would enjoy a lower grade bourbon over a higher grade scotch. Oh, sacrilege. Yeah, I know. I know. Completely unacceptable. I want to know if the celebrity booze craze is actually pushing the needle. It's possible. You know what fell off the list, though? I mean, if you if we would have the same conversation five years ago, we've been talking about vodka. Yeah. I mean, Tito's blue vodka that spirit out of the water. Yeah. They just, they created a vodka that was vodka quality that was well beyond anything that was out there. And they refused to charge the price for the quality of the vodka that they, they had. command, yeah. But they, they bottle so much of it. Like Tito's is everywhere. No, but I've seen, it's the best. Uh, I've seen Tito's no better value. Diet Coke. No better they call value. that a skinny bitch. I've seen Tito's and Fresco, which is really good. I've seen all kinds of versions of what to mix Tito's with. That kind of puts it into the cocktail category, though. It's like nobody drinks this stuff straight is what I'm hearing. No. Okay. When you drink your scotch, do you put a cube? Do you put water in it or do you drink it neat? Um, I like to put the I like to put the big two by two by two cube or the ball. Uh, I prefer the biggest single chunk of ice that'll fit in the glass, but I have been known to drink it neat. Uh, the particular drink itself matters not. There are some drinks that lend themselves to ice, like uh, the Rocks Terramana Blanco, which I really enjoy. I drink that frozen because that's what he does, and it's it's his stuff. So I will I will usually follow what the person says to do. I've had Elijah Craig cold and I've had Elijah Craig neat and I like them both. And I personally think that they're two separate drinks. They are. They're totally different. Yeah. I mean, you're you're talking about the aroma. You're talking about the flavor profile. I mean, once you dig down into actually enjoying it, just letting it hit your tongue and let it sit there, you know, some of them, that first bite is like just drinking leather. Uh, but some of them actually smell really good. Like there, there is a, there, there's a thing to whiskey drinking and I, I believe it, but it has a lot to do with temperature. It has a lot to do with what you're pairing it with. It has a lot to do with how you entered the relationship. Did you just finish eating a lot of garlic? You know, don't brush your teeth before you drink orange juice. Same idea. Uh, what else we got on Brown news? That's it. I'm out okay. of news. All right. All right. Let's bust into some headlines. Seadoo maker seeks growth beyond fan base after pandemic boom. The virus brought BRP Incorporated an unexpected windfall with throngs of first-time customers riding out the pandemic on Seadoo's snowmobiles and all-terrain vehicles. It's betting that greener machines can help sustain the growth. Canadian power sports manufacturer plans to introduce a broad lineup of electric-powered products within the next three years. 
move is critical to expanding the company's appeal to climate conscious consumers. BRP is part of a group of manufacturers that have benefited from a run-on of leisure goods fit for having fun while socially distancing, like pools, campers, watercraft. Shares of companies such as Pool Corp, Winnebago, and BRP rival Polaris have doubled or more since bottoming out in March. The electric vehicle strategy is also aimed at appealing to another demographic that's outside of BRP's traditional base, city dwellers. Electric vehicles accounted for 30% of two-wheeler sales in the world in 2019, a share that's set to grow to 77% by 2040. We're talking, of course, a Bombardier. Thoughts? It's shocking to me every time I hear which industries are killing it because of COVID and which ones are struggling because of COVID. So I just put a jacuzzi in my back here. Actually, let me back up. I'm going to back up. <laughs> I'm going to back up. To hear that Sea-Doo's and other pleasure crafts are killing it right now doesn't shock me because when I went to go buy a jacuzzi, they told me at first it would be a year. Wow. It'll be a year. You won't, you won't see jacuzzi for a year. Because... No one can go on vacation anymore. So they took all those vacation dollars and they put it into renovations. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to look for a contractor right now, good luck, right? Good luck because they're all busy. They're putting in these lifelong things that people have been dreaming about forever. New kitchens, new bathrooms, brand new pools, brand new everything. Because people can't go anywhere anyway. Try to go buy a puppy right now. Good luck. Because people are home. They're not going anywhere. So anything that says I don't have to interact with people and I can be by myself, like a Sea-Doo, not a shocker to me. Okay. Was it a shocker to you? No. No. So there are two points. Um, one, one is like my favorite Daniel Tosh joke is they say money can't buy happiness, but it can buy a Sea-Doo. Have you ever seen an unhappy person on a Sea-Doo? I love and that. two... Uh, the electric vehicle strategy is aimed at appealing to city dwellers. And so the idea is buy an electric vehicle. So they make Sea-Doo's and snowmobiles, which kind of have a category of their own. Like Sea-Doo's go on the water and snowmobiles go on the snow. The other part of it is the share of electric vehicles in the world is set to grow to 77% in 2040. So we're going from one and three to three and four. And this kind of dovetails onto another news headline that I didn't ratch onto, which is GM basically threw out all of their combustion engines and they're all going electric. So it didn't surprise me that people are home alone and they have to stay distant, but they still want to have fun. So of course they're going to spend money on things that are at their house, which of course is going to be Sea-Doo's and uh, snowmobiles and personal water or personal road craft, whatever. It was the, it was kind of the focus on electric that I was interested in as well. Is something like this company right now is going gangbusters. Like if you're a Bombardier, you could be selling Sea-Doo's hand over fist, but they're still like, nope, we're still converting over to electric. And that to me was profound because of all the times to capitalize on whatever you have in stock, they've made this announcement to go electric. So those were the two things that that popped up into my mind. I love it. All right. 
Headline two. For Neiman Marcus, Saks Fifth Avenue, and Nordstrom, the retail battle is getting more personal. Now, this is relevant because I don't consider myself a fashion maven, and I don't consider you a fashion maven either. So this intrigues me in terms of the how does the other half live, uh, because I don't match. Those of you that are familiar with the podcast know that my other half tells me I don't match all the time. However, I do think that there are plenty of people who do care, including some of Leon and I's mutual friends. So for decades, personal shopping services were reserved for the most affluent consumers at department stores like Neiman Marcus and Saks Fifth Avenue. Now, more department store sales associates earn commissions and build client relationships with personalized services offered online, which is a setup that also benefits retailers. The pandemic is shifting these experiences online through social media like Instagram and virtual styling technology apps like Stitch Fix. <clears throat> or um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a men's version of Stitch Fix. Again, it's they, like they charge you $75 to $125 per outfit, and you're supposed to feel grateful. So again, I think they're going to a demographic that's above us. But again, I want to be fair to a portion of our listener base that may be into this type of stuff. So I want to be curious enough. While personal styling allows sales associates to cash in on commission and build clientele from home, it's also a win-win for retailers that drive sales. And according to research from McKinsey and Company, personalization can increase revenues by 5 to 15%. So you're walking through the store, and in previous iterations of the retail experience, you had a clerk come up that goes, hey, can I help you find anything? And the answer is usually no, because they have no idea what they're talking about. And you just go, yeah, leave me alone. Or have you seen my kid? Or where's the dressing room so I can shoplift all this stuff? Now, you have these personal concierge people that come in with a ton of fashion sense or uh, the the word escapes me. But now when you walk into a retail store like a Macy's or one of these high-end department stores, somebody shows up and goes, let me do everything for you. Let's do it together. And because you can't go into a store, you now have somebody doing it for you. So we're getting to the point now, which kind of dovetails into our parenting segment, but the modern economy is going to be people that you pay to dress you. Thoughts? I like not matching. I like having soft clothes. And I don't want anyone to tell me what I can or can't wear. Do you think that if you had somebody that could put things together for you, it might encourage you to want to go out to a clothing store and shop more? No. Okay, good. Me neither. What if we spun it for a business context? If you wanted somebody to put together a business on some. No. I don't know. I don't need that. I don't. I think it's too far. I don't have style, but I have a style. Well, it's, I don't it's match. your style. I have my style. I never have matched. My hats barely fit my head. My shirt's... <laughs> My shirts are, they don't make any sense ever. And if I'm not wearing jeans or cargo shorts, it's a weird day. So I was intrigued with this headline based on if you're in the business world, it's an act. So your business attire is your costume. Your costume informs your role. Your role informs your motivation. Um, Our mutual friend, loves his golf attire. There are situations where 
I believe anyway, if you prescribe to a certain level of pressed put togetherness in the business world, that puts you a step ahead. You certainly don't want to have a wrinkled business shirt, for example. You want to make sure that your tie is clean. Look, I buy it. And I think a lot of listeners are going to be surprised by that based on the statements I made two seconds ago. But I will tell you that what you're wearing and your appearance get in a given situation is your first impression. It is your first impression. You can't do anything about that. Now, I went from one of the top corporate environments in the world, undoubtedly. Number two at this time and went to a small business and I'm doing everything in my power to fight everything I've learned (laughs) in that environment, but still trying to find some balance so that I'm still professional because it's ingrained in me. I can't, I can't pull it out of my head. I know Mm. what's professional. I don't know what's not. And Hey, I'm still mom and pop, you know, like don't go overboard here because it doesn't make any sense. There's no value in what you're trying to do. It's, it's a hard balance for me, but I'm going to get there. And what you're describing right now is exactly that based on what you're saying for me, just be who you are, be what you're, if, if your company says you gotta wear a tie, wear a tie. You wear slacks, wear slacks. It's not, I don't think it's an issue. I don't think it's something that requires deliberation. But what's interesting is it always does. I've had this conversation with my employees many times. Why do I have to wear a tie? Nobody comes in and sees me. This is so dumb. Because that's what the company prescribes that's it that's our culture that's what we do my new company that i'm with very different you could wear flip-flops cargo shorts and a hawaiian shirt could i can wear that do i wear that no because i'm having a tough time making the transition but i do think there's some balance between the two of being professional and being comfortable uh uh-huh. yep so i think it all depends on what industry. I mean, first of all, can I just back up a little bit? Mm-hmm. I just said the statement that makes me more frustrated than any other statement in the world. <laughs> it depends. Mm. So if anyone says it depends, it's like nails on a chalkboard to me because it always depends. Always. Always depends. It depends on the weather. It depends on the situation. It depends on who you're with. So whenever I hear this depends, it makes me want to scream. So I just said it, but it's, there is, there's definitely something to be said for where you are in what career. If you're a stockbroker, and the dress code is to wear a tie and slacks and nice shoes, then you wear a tie and slacks and nice shoes. Don't fight it. Don't be that guy or girl that says, I'm not going to be the one that wears this stuff. BS. Just wear it. 
I would offer a very simple rule because it does depend. Um, but to offer a little guidance within a, a smaller window of the it depends. When in doubt, go one level up from where you think you're supposed to be. Now, you don't wear a tuxedo to a construction site. So take a thought about where you are and where you're at. If you normally wear slacks and a button-down shirt and you're not sure, wear a tie. If you normally wear a tie and you're not sure, wear a jacket. You know, if you normally wear a button-down shirt with jeans and sneakers, ditch the sneakers. You know, so that my, it depends. I think there's a window where you can kind of judge what's going on because what you're talking about is if you show up in a three-piece suit with a tie and shiny shoes and a quaffed do, and you look around and all your coworkers are wearing Hawaiian shirts and flip-flops, you're the asshole. Nailed it. It's better to be the dickhead in the suit than the guy in flip-flops when everybody's dressed up. Yes. Boom. Because when I came in, I'm the only one wearing slacks. Mm -hmm. I'm the only one wearing nice shoes. And when I go to each one of my new areas that I have to oversee, mm -hmm. and when I go there, you they can't help but take notice and go, this guy's for real. Yeah. They they don't they don't mean to. It's subconscious. It's all subconscious. By the way, everyone that's listening. You're human. And there's things you can't control. You want to control. <laughs> you think your brain can control. You think you can tell your brain to control. You can't. You can't. You have a personality. You have a being. And you see things and you judge them immediately. And if you don't think you do, you're lying to yourself. And you need to come around. Because it's absolutely true. That being said, I come in always like that. I it, exactly how you described it. I always am a little bit higher. You know, if it's I'm not wearing a tuxedo when everybody's wearing Hawaiian shirts, but I am that notch higher, and it demands respect. The second hot take is you can always dress down. You can immediately dress down. So if you got a pair of flip-flops in the drawer on your desk, you can go from a suit to rolled up sleeves, popped collar, and flip-flops, and that is immediately dressed down. But you can't dress up. There's no way to turn cargo shorts into gabardine. So what yeah. I recommend is come in with a suit, tie, and a jacket. Take the jacket off. Take the tie <laughs> off. Roll the sleeves up. Change the shoes. Before you know it, you can have a shirt, slacks, and sneakers on, and all of a sudden, you're bucking the trend. You're a rebel. You're changing things up. You're one of us. But if you walk into a room full of suits and you got sneaks on, you're done. Toast. So I think to, to close out the thought on this, I think there is some benefit to keeping an eye on your wardrobe. If you're at home... Let's be honest, you're not wearing pants. Why are we talking about this? But at some point we're gonna get back to the office and we're gonna to have to start dressing back up again. So I thought this was interesting that the, the saving grace of modern bricks and mortar retail is now gonna be these personalized services. But I wonder if it's kind of a microcosm of bigger things like things that were only accessible to rich people are now being brought down to street level.
Yep. And and D, let me throw one more thing at you. Both you and I have been talking about this from a man's perspective. I can't even imagine how hard this is for a woman. Mm. The difference between what is formal and what is not is is a matter of taste versus a matter of there isn't there's any idiot guy out there who knows what is formal and what is not. Sure, it's a very clear cut. I don't know how women do it. No. Okay. Headline three. No tuna in Subway's tuna sandwiches lawsuit claims. Filed last week in U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California on behalf of two California residents, Karen. Of course, Karen. The lawsuit contends that two, quote, were tricked into buying food items that wholly lacked the ingredients they reasonably thought they were purchasing, unquote. Menu items don't happen to include actual fish, according to the lawsuit filed against the fast food chain. What Subway bills as tuna is a, quote, mixture of various concoctions that do not constitute tuna, yet have been blended together by defendants to imitate the appearance of tuna, unquote. Uh, Subway fired back, quote, there simply is no truth to the allegations in the complaint that was filed in California. Subway delivers 100% cooked tuna to its restaurants, which is mixed with mayonnaise and used in freshly made sandwiches, wraps, and salads that are served to and enjoyed by our guests, unquote, so saith Subway. The suit isn't the first legal dispute that raised questions about Subway's products. Ireland's Supreme Court in September ruled that the bread Subway uses is not actually bread. You can't legally call it bread because it's got too much sugar in it. And in 2017, an appeals court threw out a class action settlement over claims the chain's foot-long subs were an inch shy of the length advertised. Thoughts? <laughs> All right. <laughs> what does your eyes tell you? Who does cheap? Who cheaps out on tuna? You're cheaping out on something that is the cheapest thing on the planet. It doesn't even make sense. Now, what's a can of tuna? 35 cents? Yeah. They charge $7 for the sub. Oh, th this is not styrofoam. This is not styrofoam. It's styrofoam. Like, it's styrofoam. It's tuna. Tuna is the cheapest protein you can find on this planet. What are we talking about? Who cheaps out on? You have to go more to find a different protein. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I think people are running out of things to bitch about. That's a good point. I got two views on this. And again, I, I am a, uh, I'm a complicated seesaw of a man. One, uh, it's Subway. Like you're not, this is not a gourmet sandwich change. A $5 foot long should be your first cue. When has lunch cost $5 in the last Preach. 10 years? So, you're going to a place that pays minimum wage. The bread is old, even out of the oven. Yes, I said it. It's not even an American company. It's a British firm that sells you Subway sandwiches based on meat that sits in a container that's exposed to the open air for hours at a time. So the whole idea of complaining about quality to me says more about the person filing the lawsuit than it does about Subway. So one, shame on you lawsuit person don't eat there subway is providing a service in terms of i want something edible 
quick. That's why they call it fast food. If you're angry about why there's no tuna in the Subway sandwich, walk your ass across the parking lot to the grocery store, pay a dollar for the bun, pay 35 cents for the can of tuna, and then pay pennies for whatever the produce is that you want to put on the sandwich and make it yourself. Why are you paying $5 for something that costs $1.25? All right. One side of the seesaw. Shame on you, litigious asshole. Nailed it. I can't argue with your argument. You nailed it. On the other side, Subway, don't call it food. If it isn't food, don't call it food. Look, we're, we're Americans. We're obsessed with individuality. We want fast, cheap, and convenient. Be honest. How are you allowed to call it food? The other part that really annoys me is there's a guy on Sirius or XM. It doesn't matter who he is. He's a satellite guy. But he's like, why are we calling it organic? That's the way chicken used to be. Why don't we call the new chicken fake chicken or hormone chicken or you know, whatever, what, why are we adding names to the way it used to be? Like it never, it's, it was always chicken. You changed it. You started pouring ammonia on it because it was getting sick and you were trying to plump it up. So I, I'm a little more annoyed at big food in the sense of, yeah, dumb assholes clogging up the court system because they're filing a lawsuit. But on the other side, what are you trying to pass off as food? And that part bothers me as well. So there's my... There's my intellectual seesaw. <laughs> it's a filler and I'm okay with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I eat a McDonald's once a month to remind myself, don't eat a McDonald's. Listen, if it tastes good and I don't complain about it, I eat it. The end. hundred percent. Although I do need, you know, if I need more fiber in my diet, then I'll eat a fiber one and call it a deck. Got two perfect examples. We no longer call them craft cheese singles. We call them craft pasteurized cheese product. Delicious. You know what? People still buy it because of the Delicious. melt, the meltability, whatever. I won't eat it because I know it's shit. But I'm not going to stop somebody from buying a can of cheese whiz. Awesome. More power to you. I would rather have the smile on your face. Yes. The same thing about cigarettes. We all of a sudden put labels on cigarettes that said, yes, you light this thing. It will kill you. Guess what? People are still smoking. That's the way it should be. We don't sell tuna. We're Subway. We sell you a mayonnaise imitation crab filler piece of shit. But you know what? It's quick. It's easy. And you love it. That's the way I think <laughs> it should be. That to me is honesty and advertising. <laughs> it's never good. All right, well, that wraps up our headlines. Let's move on to what it is to be a parent. I want to know about this. (laughs) Start at the beginning, and when you come to the end, stop. Listen, I want to know all of it. As I want to hug her right now through the screen. There is a fine line behind between (laughs) being cute. And being the biggest smartass you've ever met in your life. My daughter, who's four years old, oh. and I'm telling you, every parent says it, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. She's the smartest four-year-old I've ever met in my life. Oh, She's the most articulate four-year-old I've precious. ever met in my life. Precious. And my wife got a board from Alcrate where you put letters in it. You can make messages. I thought it was really cool. Well, my daughter, my four-year-old daughter, figured that out. 
And when we told her she had to do something, she disappeared. Where, where'd she go? Five minutes later, she comes back out and she spelled no on this board and showed it to us. And it was both very debilitating <laughs> and <laughs> and proud the two of the, those emotions clashing at the same time that she's four. She doesn't want to spell. But she went in, grabbed her mother's board, grabbed the letters that spelled no, which she doesn't want to spell. She's four. But we read to her every night, and she figured it out. And instead of telling us to go F off, she put it on the board and came out and showed it to us and smiled with with such confidence that you've never seen before. And you can't squash that. No. You were so proud of that. Oh, you're yeah. Like, it's, you're done. It's, it's an unfair advantage that win. they have. Yes. You win. You won the whole contest. This part of my life is the most enjoyable part of my life. She crushes me every day. And every day I stand right back up and go, you're the most hilarious person I've ever met. I know you have experienced the same thing. Mm -hmm. I have a picture that I want to share. Let's see it uh, from my happiness abounds. What I want to get into with this picture is it's a picture of my youngest with a mask on and the look on his face is I hate this thing. And he should, we should all hate wearing a mask. It's uncomfortable. You got to breathe your own air. It's not something we're used to. I mean, I, I used to work for a Japanese company and I've talked about it before in previous episodes of the podcast. They, they wear masks whenever they get sick before all this happened. If you got sick, you wore a mask to the office because don't be an asshole. If you cough, you can get the whole office sick. So wear a mask with the purposes of the mask does not protect you from getting sick. The mask protects others from your germs. And so that's the part that I want to talk about with showing a picture of my five-year-old with a mask on. What I really, really love about this time, kind of as a, a, a silver lining, as they say, or a light in the clouds is, the kids adapt. They get it. They don't have to like it. They don't have to understand it. They adapt. So. My five-year-old who would rather be sucking his thumb or not flushing the toilet or kicking me or throwing something or screaming bad words at his mother, he gets that the mask is important because he has positive reinforcement at every step of his day where everybody he encounters says the mask is important. And he doesn't think to himself, why should I? He just does it. And I don't, I mean, I, I, I really, really, I marvel at that. Because a five-year-old and an eight-year-old who have no idea of the complexities of life, just put the fucking mask on. And then you run into adults that have all these reasons why they shouldn't. And it's 60 cents of cloth. Is it really so goddamn hard? Even if it is a nefarious government conspiracy, just do it. Shut up. Like really out of all the things that matter in this world, 
we get five-year-olds to do it. And so I want to applaud the five-year-olds out there that keep the mask on above their nose and just shut up about it. And to me, that matters. And as a parent, I have so many other things about him that I want to strangle him or just throw him in the pool and lock the gate. But he puts his mask on. That was actually really fun to listen to. Because I will tell you, my four-year-old who hasn't gone to school yet has said many times to me, COVID sucks. And I haven't experienced this last week where I decided to go out to lunch with my 92-year-old grandmother who missed me and my grand, her great-great-granddaughter. And we went out to, to lunch and the two of them sat in the back of the car and they had the funnest game you've ever heard of, you know what sucks about COVID? <laughs> and it was awesome. So she started, my grandmother, you know what sucks about COVID? That I don't get to go see my family as much as I want to. And I'm in arguably the last years of my life. And this four-year-old rebuts with, you know what sucks about COVID, Nana? You know what sucks about COVID? I can't hang out with the new kids in this neighborhood I just moved into. And who's wrong? Neither one of them. Uh He nailed it. Both of them nailed it. And we're all dealing with it. And... It's really something that we all need to acknowledge that we're going through and it sucks, but do it. So we can all get through it and move on. It begs the question of who's the five-year-old in this scenario? Right. All right, brother, I'm out of ice. So I think let's close this first one well. You know, this was fun. Cheers to you, sir. Here's to you. This place is dead anyway, man.